Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College, Emory, Virginia. I'm John Shuck, the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Teaching about religion in public schools can be tricky business. Religion is integral to human culture. So how do teachers and school boards teach about religion without promoting a particular religion? Related to that, how do public schools and teachers recognize the religious diversity of their students so they can better meet their educational needs? Two professors from Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, have taken on these questions and have produced a textbook for teachers and parents. The book is Religious Diversity and Children's Literature, Strategies and Resources, published by Information Age Publishing in Charlotte, North Carolina. My guests are its authors, Sandra Oldendorf and Connie Green. Connie Green is the professor in the College in the college of Education at Appalachian State. Welcome, Dr. Thank Green. Thank you. It's nice to be here. And uh, Dr. Oldendorf is also a professor in the College of Education at Appalachian State. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, too. And they co-wrote a book that is entitled Religious Diversity and Children's Literature, Strategies and Resources. And we're going to talk about that book. And uh, How did you come, both of you, come to, to see the need for this book? Well, we are both teacher educators and have experiences in the public schools. And as we were talking to our students about this concept, we saw that there were many misconceptions about religion in the public schools. Uh, Some teachers thought that you couldn't even mention religion. I had a student who told me she had heard about Martin Luther King in all the grades, but she never knew that he was a Baptist minister. So we saw a real need for some more information. And so we conducted a small research project where we gave a questionnaire to about 90 teachers who were also graduate students uh, to learn about their practices, their own practices and practices they had seen in the public schools. Um, And we found that about a fourth of them had either prayed with their students themselves or aware of of prayer uh, being conducted by teachers or students within their public schools. Um, About half of them had seen religious symbols in the schools, and others had seen or not seen religion covered in history and were a little confused about whether or not you could do that. And so from there, we interviewed 10 of those teachers in depth and found that six of them had a pretty good understanding of separation of church and state, and three of them were openly proselytizing to their students or considered themselves and considered themselves um, models of their Christianity and considered their teaching as a way to convey their Christianity. So this became even more important to us to try to make something like this accessible to teachers. So there's really, Dr. Green, a real unevenness in terms of how religion has been taught in school, from one extreme of thinking you can't teach it at all because it's against the law, mm-hmm. to the others to go out and convert them. Exactly. We, we found that exactly, and possibly more so in the foothills and mountains of, of North Carolina where we did the research. When was this research done? Dr. Oldendorf. Well, we did this research in 2006. 
five and six, and um, we that the purpose of that was to write an article, and uh, we wrote an article for um, a journal called Religion and Education, and it was about um, views about teaching about religion in the South, and um, based on what we learned from that, uh, we were also actually uh, kind of working on several projects at once. Um, uh, Connie had already done some research on using children's literature to teach about religion. And this kind of spurred us on to thinking, this is really an important thing to do because of all these misunderstandings and misconceptions about religion in school. Um, I am a social studies educator, and it is in the North Carolina curriculum, beginning in kindergarten through 12th grade. It mentions teaching about different kinds of religions and cultural traditions. But especially in the elementary level until about 7th grade, it usually doesn't happen because of concern about what they can and can't do. So is it just simply that they're supposed to do it, but give, but there's really little guidance? Is that I would say the, the, I would within the state think curriculum? that's very good, and that's one of our conclusions in the book, that t- teachers, pre-service teachers, need more background in understanding world religions. So how did you go about this then? How, you wrote this book, and you went and did some research on, on uh, the different religions? We did. We each did a lot of reading. <laughs> uh, we visited different faith communities around the southeast uh, mostly in north carolina but some other states as well so we learned firsthand and we read between us probably several hundred children's books about the different several religions hundred. yes <laughs> and reviewed many of those that we thought were were good books to be included so. because i notice in the book itself the structure is um You'll, you'll talk about a religious tradition, say Sikhism, and then you'll have a number of books in general, but then you'll also have kind of uh, blocks in there that give descriptions of children's literature that go with that. Yes, we uh, played around with that format for a while and decided that that was a good way to present the literature as it related to the content, say a history section about the Sikhs, and then we would have some children's books on the history part. And another good example is when we discussed holidays and and, uh, celebrations, that it would make sense to have a book highlighted right there about, for example, Days of Awe, the High Holy Days in Judaism. We would, uh, when we're talking about uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we would have um, some informational books mentioned that would help teachers teach children about those holidays. So how did you um, decide to use children's literature? That's my background. I (laughs) teach children's literature, so I'm very enthusiastic about it. We also thought that most teachers are familiar with children's literature. They know how to teach using those books. And the books themselves are so informative. So many nonfiction, informational books or history books. Teachers could also learn from and get some accurate information about that faith community. And they're also something that children are attracted to. Many of the books now have wonderful photographs or art by well-known artists. I think another reason is that almost every religion or everyone we know of started with story. The Mm -hmm. stories are part of faith traditions from the earliest pagan and American Indian traditions on through today. And all of the great religious leaders, um, Moses, 
Jesus, Muhammad, the Sikh gurus, all use stories to teach. So it seemed like a natural uh, avenue to include. As opposed to, say, a doctrinal system or something like that, which would be <laughs> rather stiff, wouldn't it? Exactly, exactly. And also teachers, you know, we mentioned many teachers were frightened about teaching about religion, unsure about what they could do, but children's literature is something they know and are comfortable with that strategy. And so we tried to combine the content with a strategy they were comfortable with. So how did, what were the criteria that you developed for which children's literature books to select for each tradition? We tried to look at the authors and were these authors qualified. We looked on children's literature databases and how the books were reviewed and then also ones that we thought were attractive and would be of interest to children. And we tried to get a variety of the different genres, the different types of literature uh, for each religion. One of uh, our colleagues, uh, two of our colleagues, um, Dr. Eric Gross and Dr. Robin Gross, have done had done extensive work with the National Council for the Social Studies on authentication projects, where you take children's literature and you uh, you study the author's background, you double you you fact check essentially uh, to find out if if especially books that are are, are fiction, you know, it does this uh, does it does this fit um, and. Uh, Anyway, that, that, their guidelines were very helpful to us. Just as one example, one thing we always looked for is what uh, faith, from what faith tradition does the author come from? And we didn't rule it out that they had to come from that faith tradition, but they, needed, we, they really needed to have some direct experience for us rather than you know, just a scholarly interest. And so most of the authors we recommended are either from the tradition or have uh, lived in families with that tradition or have some more intimate knowledge of it. My guests, if you're just joining us, are Dr. Doctors Connie Green and Sandra Oldendorf. They are professors at Appalachian State University, and they've co-written a book called Religious Diversity and Children's Literature, Strategies and Resources. So this book is intended for public school teachers, um, but I, I, as I was reading it through, I, I, I'm going to put it in our church library. I think it would be great for education from that level, and I would, I would recommend it to parents. I mean, it's concise within about 200 pages. And how, how many children's books do you reference in here? I don't think we've ever counted, <laughs> but I would say about two to 300 at least. There's a really a, whole, a, a, a library listing here of, of books that will be helpful. But you also, in, in addition to books, you went around to the various to various faith communities as you found them. And did, how, how far did that adventure take you, and how did you go about doing that? Well, we were fortunate to have a grant from our university uh, that would allow us to spend some time with the different faith communities. A couple of them we found right within our own community, the pagans. There's a pagan group. Um, in Boone, and as far as Nashville, Nashville, well, well, Atlanta would be Atlanta. the furthest, mm-hmm. and I guess that we traveled um, to to go to different communities. We just decided that if we were going to write about this in a book format, that we needed to be have some firsthand experiences ourselves, and we found the ministers, imams, etc the leaders in the faith communities to be extremely welcoming. People went out of their way. Uh, Someone I met in the Sikh community, for example, 
wanted to read the chapter. She edited the whole thing, sent me additional references. Several uh, gentlemen from that community met with me. Um, they invited me to stay for their lunch after the service. And I, I think everywhere we went, we felt very welcomed. And I think some of the, your listeners in the South would we were a little surprised at the amount of religious diversity just in the region. Um, some of this people would know, but we, uh, we, of course, we went to Cherokee and um, we saw the new version of Unto These Hills, which is based on um, Cherokee spiritual traditions. They rewrote the outdoor drama to better reflect their spiritual beliefs and not quite so much as a a tourist attraction and so it was a it was a powerful story about the the role of the Cherokee clans through history uh, we also went to uh, just to give examples of where we went the Hindu Center uh, in um, uh, Charlotte and we went to the um, a celebration for uh, one of the goddesses uh, which was really a, a wonderful experience very colorful lots and lots of music we found out there's four Buddhist temples in uh, Greensboro and we, we went to one of those uh, we went to temple uh, in Asheville and went to a bat mitzvah for a young, a a young Jewish, girl. A Jewish synagogue. Jewish, is that? Ju okay. Jewish mm -hmm. yes, right. And then we attended the mass in Greensboro, uh, Greek Orthodox Church in Greensboro, uh, the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Martin, Martin Luther, Luther King. King's yes. Church. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Sikhs, uh, what community were the Sikhs? That in? was north of Atlanta. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was uh, to learn that the second largest Muslim community in the South is in Nashville. Uh, Atlanta would be the largest, but there were four different mosques. In, did you say in Asheville? In, or in Nashville. Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. Tennessee. Okay. Right. Not exactly the way we usually think about <laughs> Nashville culture, but that was fascinating. Well, you know, um, I was reading a book, Diana Eck, and you referenced yes. her. Uh, yes. also, uh, she, she mentioned that uh, we're the most religiously diverse country in the world. Yes. And and people don't realize that you don't have to go to such exotic places as Calcutta or <laughs> to, to to find the religious diversity. You can go as far as Nashville, Tennessee, or Charlotte, or Boone. Exactly, and even in Boone, and I'll tell a little story. When we were first starting this, I went to get my nails done, and I was watching a, a little boy, a nephew of one of the people who worked there, and he was playing with a little Buddha statue. And it, I wondered, does he? His teacher know that he's Buddhist. Does she know what that means for him and his family? And it was just uh, a little eye-opener for me to think about even within our small community. Well, thinking about that and teaching um, students, my guests, again, if you're joining us is on Religion for Life are uh, Drs. Connie Green and Sandra Oldendorf, authors of Religious Diversity and Children's Literature, Strategies and Resources, um, to have a more educated and open-ended teaching of, of religion um, that is in line with our Constitution. Mm -hmm. how, how do you see this? How would you see a teacher using this book in her class? Well, we do make a number of suggestions, and, and re, uh, we want to clarify, too, when we say children, uh, we were focused on uh, K-8 
in terms of the grades. But uh, I shouldn't say that. That's not right. My colleague is in, in early childhood. <laughs> so we were looking at picture books for, for very young children So as even well. uh, before oh, kindergarten? Oh, absolutely. Pre-kindergarten. Okay. Right. And um, so it depends on the grade level and so on and, and where it's a fit. Some of my elementary students you know, say to me, well, I can't imagine doing a unit on religion in elementary school. And I said, that's fine. I said, but what if, if you talk about someone like Gandhi, for example, that you mentioned that his Hindu faith was very important to him in, in terms of leading uh, a march for the rights of the Indian people uh, against the British. Um, and if we um, talk about um, you know, biography, autobiography is a great way to do it. One book that I, for example, has a quite a, a strong Christian message in it, but would be very appropriate for the schools, is the biography of uh, Mahalia Jackson mm-hmm. and how she started. She had a, such a powerful voice in Chicago, and everybody wanted her to sing the blues and, and sing in, in the, you know, the, the bars and the, the nightclubs. And at some point she said, no, you know, this is my voice is a gift from God, and I'm going to only use it to praise God and Jesus. And so that's what she did, but it's not proselytizing. It's telling her story in her words. Um, So that's uh, a a possible book a child could be pointed to, to understand, you know, the role of of Christianity in someone's uh, life. Um, It is in the curriculum in the seventh grade, you know, in, in North Carolina anyway, for world history. With younger children, there's sections and talking about symbols. Uh, we, we mentioned the possibility of taking younger children when we go on little walks in the community or we talk about community leaders pointing out, well, there's a cross at that, you know, at that church and, you know, there's a there's a mosque and there's a temple and or in North Carolina, it might simply be Presbyterians and Baptists and, and Methodists. But um, just to point out that there are there are different different religions in the community with young children would be important. And student or teachers might find out that as you mentioned with the with the Buddhist student in the class, that there's a wide variety that they might not know about of students who are religious. Is is there a, also a way of kind of affirming that uh, variety of religious experience that the children themselves may have? And they might uh, show and tell or yes. something like that. Is that what <laughs> and that's another purpose that we had for writing the book, not just teaching about religion, but for teachers to be able to understand the diversity of religions within their own classrooms and what that means for the food the children eat, uh, for, say, the amount of quiet. If a child comes from a religion where meditation is very important, that child may be used to having some quiet times of day. Or a Muslim child who's required by his religion to pray five times a day. So we had that as a, a secondary or a, a second purpose for, for writing the book. Have you received any feedback from teachers or parents about the book? Uh, we have. Um, and one of the things that was really nice for us is is we've presented at a variety of conferences, but we were invited speakers for uh, the Worldview conferences, two of them in North Carolina. One was in Chapel Hill, and the other one was in Marion. And um, these were all teachers. And uh, Worldview tries to promote global perspectives and, and a, a world, well, essentially worldview, like all the, all the diversity in the world. And so those were all teachers and really some, we, we, 
I really loved getting the questions from the teachers. They were very interested in what we were talking about in some of the books, but they um, they just had so many questions. It just, just opened up about, you know, what they could and couldn't do or sharing experiences in their classroom. I think they loved having a place to talk to each other. Well, this happened to me. How did you handle it? Um, most teachers really want to do the right thing, and uh, they were glad to have that opportunity. And I can imagine that religion would be daunting and a little scary because it's so um, public in so many different ways of, of what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do and not offending people. Yes, yes, and you've, uh, in the book itself, it is, it is so very uh, um, clear and concise and factual and non-threatening. I don't know if that's, <laughs> that, that's the right word to use. But, um, and, and sympathetic to the different traditions. I'm wondering, did you have a challenge in terms of presenting a religion from the perspective of the person who might give, like, oh, let's say Jesus or something like that with the, with the miracle stories and all of that, of presenting it in such a way that is also historically uh, accurate as you can't be, as well as honoring what the different religions might think about the figure? Do you understand my question? Yes. Uh, well, one, one where I especially wrestled with it and uh, – it was was the Judaism chapter mm-hmm. in trying to uh, talk about um, scholarly history versus um, biblical history, and, and I know as soon as I say that, some folks are going to say, "Wait, wait, wait!" You know, there's there's not really any difference because what's in the Bible is the way it was, but um, that that is a little that's challenging because the places that the Bible talks about existed, and it's what. What we get into is, you know, how to present this information. And when we tried to stay with, you know, with, I guess, a scholarly approach to what we do know and what people believe and not to make a judgment about, I guess, what was fact and fiction. We, we uh, It was more from the standpoint of this is what this faith believes or advocates. I thought you covered that, walked that line very well. <laughs> Um, as I was looking at this, the sections on Jesus and understanding, you know, here's what we think from a historical perspective, yeah. and some people celebrate it in this way and, and, and whatnot. And you, and you included uh, in, in your faith groups, groups that you don't often think about. You included atheists and free thinkers, which I thought was admirable. Yes, and I think that's something teachers will often forget, that there are children probably many children in classrooms who do not go to a particular church or other house of worship on Sunday. And I've actually heard pre-kindergarten and kindergarten teachers say, it doesn't matter where we go to church as long as we go to a church. And that's absolutely inappropriate to Mm -hmm. say. And I think they're also forgetting that there are children whose families are atheist or agnostic, and those traditions need to be recognized as well. And some of our great thinkers, um, Einstein, for example, and Darwin, we used a lot of biographies in that section, and as you're studying some of these different theories, that's something that you could mention with some of their struggles with religion. And one of the things that is important to me as a, a social studies teacher um, is to uh, is to talk about the um, the history, the culture, you know, that aspect of of uh, of this topic that we can't talk about the past without talking about the role religion has played, both good and bad, and we can't talk about the present without talking about those um, as well. 
Yeah, we can't talk about what it means to be a, a human being, really, without religion <laughs> is such a major part of it. Right. And when we just kind of block that off mm-hmm. uh, and, and don't deal with we're, it, we're missing a major part of the human experience and motivations for activities today. One of the things I wanted to mention historically in, in terms of that last chapter is that a number of our founding fathers were considered deists. Um, Yes, they were Christians in the sense that they believed in the teachings of the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus, but not that Jesus was Christ. And that for some folks in our country, they talk about um, this being a Christian nation. And if you would have asked those founding fathers, they, they might have said they were Christian. I'm not sh- I can't, I don't want to go there completely, but certainly they looked at it in a different way than what some folks might look at it today. So introducing the idea of deism, that there is a, uh, that there is a, a power out there, but not necessarily the Trinity was part of the beliefs of some of those early founders. So. We just have a couple of minutes left. Um, are there any books that you reviewed in your study that were meaningful or that opened your uh, and, and one of the awareness? things we haven't mentioned, and I want to share this book uh, regarding that, is that how many families there are where there was more than one religious tradition in that family mm. and how they're combined. And one of the books we found that I thought was wonderful was uh, Kaddish for Grandpa, In Jesus' Name, Amen. And this was a little girl who's... Um, uh, grandfather was Christian and her family was Jewish and this was her her mother was Jewish and so they 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 were Jewish and uh, she went to the grandfather's Christian service but then was concerned about some things you know with the Jewish faith and so there, her parents helped explain to her how you could honor her grandfather in both traditions and it's from a, a five-year-old is in the story but I thought it was just a wonderful way for families to share that there are many families with different traditions and they work it out in different ways and that's just death is something children experience and, and learning about it from different perspectives was a very moving story. I'd like to mention the author Demi, who has written a lot of biographies. She is Buddhist herself. She has Buddhist stories and a biography of Buddha, also a children's biography of Muhammad and Jesus and Mary. So that's a good author to know, also a biography of Gandhi. So a lot of variety there. And I'd like to do one more, and that is that we tried to put in a few books that actually approach religion in a humorous way. And one of them for Islam uh, young people was called, Does My Head Look Big in This? And it's a young girl in Australia, a teenager, trying to decide whether to wear hijab, the head covering or not. I mentioned this to a Muslim teacher that I met recently, and just to see, you know, what her thing, her take was. And she said, oh, that is one of my favorite books. And I thought children would enjoy that a young child is going through that kind of of angst about you know being a teenager and wanting to look look good at the same time trying to keep true to her faith um, so we thought humor uh, was important too Dr. Green and Dr. Oldendorf, both professors at Appalachian State University in the Education Department, authors of a fantastic book that should be on uh, libraries of every teacher, as well as in in churches and in in homes, Religious Diversity and Children's Literature, Strategies and Resources. Thank you for making the drive from Boone uh, over here, and thank you for this book and for spending time with me today. Thank you so much for having us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Sheck. 
I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. More information about my congregation can be found at fpcelizabethton.org. Information about Religion for Life, including upcoming shows and podcasts, are available at religionforlife.me. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook and Twitter. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.